Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. A podcast where we delve into the verses of the Quran to connect with the book of Allah, the greatest miracle of our beloved Prophet. I hope that you enjoy and benefit from the content inshallah and like always, please let us know about any feedback regarding this episode. Having said that, let's delve straight into the Tafsir inshallah. Surah Yasin is a Mecki surah. Therefore, I'm going to explain the four main parts that this surah has. You will find that out of these four parts, many of them, uh, pretty much all of them, have to do with the belief system. So, first part of this surah has to do with prophethood. This goes all the way up until verse uh, 12, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, about saying that the prophet is actually a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's uh, delivering the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second part of the surah is a story that has to do with two or three prophets who were sent to a group of people and a, dare I say, a mysterious figure who shows up in the middle of uh, the conversation between those three prophets and their people. Right? That's the second part. Um, the third part has to do uh, with the Tawheed and the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fourth part has to do with the Day of Judgment and our return, or what they call Ma'at. Okay, so these are the four main parts of Surah Yasin. They call Surah Yasin the heart of the Qur'an. When I say they call it, we have hadith about this. And from what I remember, it was hadith from the Prophet. That Surah Yasin is the heart of the Qur'an. Why is that? Different people have different opinions on this because the Prophet has not mentioned why. Yasin is Qalbul Qur'an. All we know is that he's mentioned that it is Qalbul Qur'an. However, different opinions. Some say that the reason why Surah Yasin is the heart of the Qur'an is because the topics that are, that are covered are the most central topics in Islam. Right, like it talks about Tawheed, it talks about Nubuwa, and it talks about Qiyamah, which are the Usul al-Din. Right, if you have these three, you are a Muslim. That's one of the reasons why some people, some scholars believe uh, that Surah Yasin is the heart of the Quran. Um, quick pointer here: Allama uh, Tabatabai says, "I asked my teacher once. I asked him. I said, why do you think the Surah Yasin is mentioned as the heart of the Quran?'" Um, because unlike what I used to think growing up, it's not in the middle of the Qur'an, right? <laughs> growing up, I used to think that Surah Yasin is the heart of the Qur'an because it's in the middle of the Qur'an, right? Um, even though the heart isn't even in the middle of the body either, right? But anyways, he says, I asked my teacher, why is it that uh, Surah Yasin is the heart of the Qur'an? His teacher is Ayatollah Qadi. He said this, he said the reason for that are the couple last verses in Surah Yasin. Couple last verses in Surah Yasin are very famous verses. His command is that whatever he wants something to come into existence, he says to it, Kun Fayakun, Blessed or perfect is the one who in his hands and in his power and under his control is Malakutu Kulleshe. 
every human, every being, not every human being, every being has a mulki aspect, which has to do with his uh, existence in this world. And then it has a malakuti aspect, it has to do with his existence in realms higher than this world. Okay, that's called malakut. The verse is saying the malakut of everything is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you have the malakut of everything in the hand in, in, in your hands, that means the central uh, existence of everything is in your hands. He says this is why the, the Surah Yasin is called Qalbul Quran. Because the same way Qalb is central to the existence of the human being, the malakut of everything is also central to the existence of everything. Now, these are a little, uh, you know, high level stuff we're covering here. But, you know, just, just for us to know and think about a little bit. I'm going to move on. Moving on to the ahadith that we have for the reward of reciting uh, different surahs. Now, I'm going to mention this hadith. This, brothers and sisters, is a very important uh, topic to discuss. Um, as you can see, I am very anxious to get to the surah itself and start discussing the surah itself. But we have to cover this before we get to discussing uh, the surah itself. So um, the first point that I need to mention is this. Um, let me let me share the hadith that we have with regards to reciting Surah Yasin in particular and the reward that has been mentioned to it. And then we have to have a little bit of a discussion about these different hadith that we have about reciting different surahs. Okay, so this hadith is from Imam Sadiq sallallahu alayhi He says, فَمَنْ قَرَأَ يَاسِينَ فِي نَهَارِهِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُمْسِي كَانَ فِي نَهَارِهِ مِنَ الْمَحْفُوظِينَ وَالْمَرْزُقِينَ حَتَّى يُمْسِي He says, whoever recites Surah Yasin during his day, قَبْلَ أَنْ يُمْسِي Before, you know, nighttime, during that day, he will be He will be from those who are protected, right? And from the latter part of the hadith, it's clear that this protection is protection from shaitan. And he will be given rizqa. Rizq is not just financial rizq. It could be any type. It could be knowledge. It could be different things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives, blessings. And whoever recites it, at night before he goes to sleep, malakin, a thousand angels will be appointed to him. These thousand angels will be protecting him from a shaytan al-rajim, shaytan who has been cast away. And from every, uh, I want to say, um, I don't know what the best translation for Afa would be, what, but you know, from every problem or every disease, right? It could be a physical, it could be a, a spiritual disease. Okay, this is one of the hadith that we have regarding uh, reciting Surah Yasin. And there are many others as well. The point that I want to make about this, these hadith that we have, brothers and sisters, is this. When we talk about these hadith, we have to be very careful. Okay, why? So three pointers, and these three pointers are going to uh, summarize our discussion regarding these ahadith. Okay, and you, if you guys have questions, because I do think this part will bring about questions in your mind, uh, feel free to uh, send them in. Um, yes, calamity, as the brother is saying that, that would be a good translation. Um, first pointer, what is it meant when they say, if you read the surah, Okay, the reason why we have to have this discussion is because some of these ahadith, when you hear, 
what happens if you read this surah, it's a little bit of a question mark in our minds. Like if I just read the surah, this will happen, right? So for example, hadith might say, if you re re uh, recite surah to nur, this is real hadith. If you recite surah to nur, a person will be protected from adultery. A person will be more modest if you recite surah to nur. So what does that mean? That means if I just recite this surah, then this is going to happen to me, right? Is that what it means? Ayatollah Makarim Shirazi in his tafsir, he says, no, when these ahadith say you read, he means in the sense of reading and acting upon it, which is a big difference now. He says you have to understand it in that context. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense if just by reading this, something would happen inside of me, right? And his, one of the arguments that he makes is this. He says, listen, if you pay attention, a lot of these ahadith that explain the reward of a certain reciting a certain surah, if you pay attention, you will see that there is an actually a connection between acting upon that surah and that reward that's mentioned in that hadith. So he says, Surah An-Nur, for example, it says, if you recite it, you will be away protected from adultery. Well, uh, what is Surah An-Nur about? <laughs> right? right? It's about what? It's about the issue of like, uh, one of the main topics is about what? Uh, the issue of adultery. So he says here, this is even a clue for us that when the Quran or the Hadith says that if you recite these surahs, this will happen in your life. It means if you will recite it and try to act upon it. Okay, so that's the first point that we have to keep in mind. That these these ahadith that we read about the thawab, or as we say, the fadilah of certain surahs, at the very least, you'd have to say, hey, if that, that's going to be there, that reward or that effect will be there, if at least you try to act upon it. If you're not even trying to act upon it, then, you know, like, it's very difficult to say just because you recited the surah, this is going to happen. Okay, not talking about those ahadith that say you will get this reward or that reward like hasanat. Hasanat are not a problem. The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is great. He can uh, 10,000 hasanat for this, a, a million hasanat for that. That's not the part that, that brings questions into our minds. No, we're talking about ahadith that talk about the effects a certain surah is going to have in your life if you recite them. Does that mean if you recite them once that's going to happen? According to Ayatollah Shirazi, Ayatollah Makarim Shirazi in his tafsir, he says, no, this is has to be understood in the context of you recite this and at least you're trying to act upon it. So that's number one. Number two, some of these ahadith brothers and sisters are not 100% reliable. Does it mean that they're fabricated? No, a lot of times we can't say that either, but we're just not 100% sure about them. Why? Some of these ahadith are what we call mursal. In the sense that if you look at the chain of narrators, right? Imagine I'm the person who's telling you the hadith. I say, I got it from this person and he got it from him and he got it from him. He got it from him. Well, naturally, this chain of narrators is supposed to go and hit who? It's supposed to hit like an imam or the prophet, right? Sometimes this chain of narrators ends somewhere and it's not an imam or a prophet. So how did that person get it? We don't know exactly, right? So... That's the second thing. For example, we have hadith. And then you take a look at some of these ahadith, brothers and sisters. We have hadith that the uh, Imam al-Baqir, salawatullahi alayhi, قال, كُلُّ مَنْ لَمْ تُبْرِئُهُ سُورَةُ الْحَمْدُ وَقُلْهُ وَاللَّهُ أَحَدُ لَمْ يُبْرِئُهُ شَيْءٌ Whoever Suratul Hamd and Surah Ikhlas does not 
take care of his disease. Ibra means to cure. Whoever these surahs does not cure him, Lam nothing will cure him. That's a little questionable. When you look at the hadith, it's actually, you look at the chain of narrators, it actually doesn't even go back all the way to the fifth imam. In the sense that this, like the person who was not even living with the fifth imam, he jumps a couple generations. Right? Imagine I came a hundred years after the fifth imam. I say the fifth imam said this. That's how this hadith has been narrated. Now, can we say it's necessarily fabricated? No. It's very this is why we have scholars, they can worry worry about this stuff. But my point is some of these hadith are not so reliable as we think they are. Okay. In fact, one of them is about um, if I'm not mistaken, Surah uh, Yasin in particular. Right. Okay, that's the second point. Third point, and inshallah, we'll move on to the first verse from the surah, is this. Brothers and sisters, some of these ahadith, um, they sometimes there are certain things mentioned in some of these ahadith that you know it can't be true. If a hadith says, listen, if you recite this surah, you will definitely be in heaven. And we understand it in the sense that if you recite this surah, whatever you do, you'll be where? In heaven. There's no way that can happen. Because there is no part in our religion that relieves anyone from their duties for the rest of their life. There is no such a thing, right? And this is a longer discussion. This discussion comes up when people talk about us being Shia and the intercession and the Shafa'ah and all of that kind of stuff. And the Imams themselves have refuted this idea that because you have the right belief system, then you are relieved of your duties. Similarly, the same concept can be applied here with these hadith. If a hadith comes to you and says, hey, if you recite this surah, that's it, you're in heaven, no matter what you do. Uh, this is, we can't accept this, right? Either we have to understand the hadith in a different way, where we say, uh, it means if you recite this surah and you don't do anything wrong afterwards, or let's say if you were to pass away afterwards, right, then your place would be in heaven. That makes sense, right? Or we'll have to say that we can't accept the hadith, right? So these are three pointers to remember when we are talking about a hadith that have to do with the thawab of uh, reciting different surahs. Let me know if you guys have questions about these. So I just want to make sure there aren't any misunderstandings about this topic because I know that it's a little bit of a... Um, you know, sensitive topic. Now, you might say, oh, Sheikh, so all of these ahadith they mention about uh, thawab of this, thawab of that. Uh, so what? There's no, no thawab now? Brothers and sisters, this is why I've made that point at the beginning of the discussion. Brothers and sisters, well, first of all, we know reciting Quran has a lot of thawab. I mean, even if we don't have a particular hadith, if someone doesn't come to you tonight and say, if you recite Surah Yasin, you get a thousand hasanat, you're not going to recite it? No, we all know it has so much thawab, number one. Number two, brothers and sisters, if someone wants to grow spiritually, even more important than just gaining hasanat here and there is for him to invest in himself, in his worldview. That's why we mentioned that point earlier, that sometimes when you get acquainted with the Quran, it starts to change your worldview. When you change your worldview, brothers and sisters, Hasanat will come to you left and right, right? If you have the right worldview, if you're focused on Qiyamat, oh, you will make all the, the Hasanat that, that, that's out there, right? Because you're working for the right purpose. You have your eye on the prize, as they say, right? But if someone is just after Hasanat, 
then they're only after doing this small act of worship, that small act of worship. In the long run, the person who has the right worldview, who's invested in his spirituality, by being acquainted with the Quran, he will be miles ahead of the person who's just only after hasanat. I'm going to recite this surah. I don't understand anything from it. Just recite this surah. Why? Because that's hasanat. Well, that's good. But the other one who recites it with the translation and actually changes his worldview a little bit, oh, he's way ahead. So let's approach this surah uh, in this way, inshallah. Okay. Uh, Brother Ali is saying, I love that so many people... Uh, I love that point. So many people think they can do whatever and they, whatever they want if they cry for Imam Hussain and that no matter what they do, they will instantly go to heaven without any accountability. Yeah, so I mean, that was something that we covered on the side indirectly. We were talking about the ahadith that say that if you do like recite this surah, you will be your like, for example, from what I remember, some of the ahadith say, um, you know, for example, Let's just say for the sake of uh, yeah, for the sake of the example, we'll say if a hadith were to say that if you recite this, your your aqibat is going to be khair. You're going to be on the right path. Well, we have to see how we're going to understand that. Does it mean if I pass away right now and I don't do anything wrong, I'll be on the right path? Okay, maybe. But if it means that I can do whatever I want to do, none of the scholars are going to accept that. That's not, uh, sorry, brothers and sisters. <laughs> no scholar is going to accept that unfortunately um okay all right finally let's get to the first verse of surah yasin yasin wal quran al hakim mursaleen okay yasin what is yasin here is a discussion scholars say different opinions some of them say you know what yasin is uh actually huruful muqatta in the sense that similar to other verses of other surahs of the Quran that we have Alif Lam Mim, we have Alif Lam Ra, we have Kaf Ha Ya Ain Sad, we have all of these different things. Uh, this Yasin is also one of them. Most of the scholars do not agree with this. They say Yasin is either a name for the Prophet or it is short for Ya Sayyidul Mursaleen or it is short for Sayyidul Mursaleen, the greatest of the Mursaleen, right? The head of the Mursaleen, the head of the prophets, or Yasami'al Wahd, the one who's the one who's hearing the revelation, right? They say it's a short for this or that, or it's the name of the Prophet. Now, Ayatollah Jawadi Amali makes a very beautiful point, and I'm gonna move on from this quickly because we want to get down to the meaning of Surah Yasin, not just what Yasin means, but he says, listen, in verse number three, it says, Yasin, wal Quran al Hakim, inna mursaleen. He says, Yasin must be the name of the Prophet. Otherwise, it would not make sense for verse number three to have a pronoun in it. When we use pronouns, brothers and sisters, right? You mention someone's name and then you use a pronoun usually, right? So the fact that it says, inna certainly you. That means that he must have mentioned or addressed the Prophet before. Therefore, he says Yasin should be uh, addressing the Prophet. Now, either it's the name of the Prophet or it's short for Yasid al Mursan. It is not like Alif Lam Mim, I don't know, Alif Lam Mim Ra, Kaf Ya Ain Saad. It's not like any of those. Okay. Wal Quran al Hakim. We swear by the Quran that is Hakim. Inna min al Mursaleen. Certainly, you are amongst those who's been sent to people. You're a Prophet. Ala Sirat al Mustaqim, you are on a straight path 
Tanzil al-Aziz al-Rahim. And this Quran is Tanzil. Okay, so let's dive into this a little bit. Wal-Quran al-Hakim, we swear by the wise Quran, We swear that you're one of the prophets. First question that should come to your mind, like the first question that should come to your mind here is this. Why is God trying to prove that the prophet is a prophet by swearing in its own Quran, in his own Quran? That doesn't really make sense, right? If I come to you and say, listen, brother, I know what I'm talking about, right? He said, you tell me, oh, how? Shaykh, prove it to me. I say, I swear I know what I'm talking about. Well, that's not proving it, right? Although um, for a lot of our brothers and sisters in our communities, it is. <laughs> that's how you prove stuff. <laughs> but point is, you can't prove stuff just by swearing it. However, Mufassirin make this very beautiful point. They say, when the Quran swears, Quran al-Hakim, he is swearing and the proof is right there. That's why he says, Quran al-Hakim. Pay attention. He says, I swear by the Quran that has wisdom in it. Well, that's God's miracle. So the proof is in this, in that, uh, is, is in the Wal Quran al Hakim. Now he can say, Why? Because there's Al Quran al Hakim. There's a wise Quran. Think about this, brothers and sisters, right? The Probably the biggest proof that we have for the Prophet being a Prophet, obviously the biggest proof is this. That it doesn't make sense at all that all of this book, right, which makes a lot of sense. Some part of it, some parts of it, we may not be able to understand, right? And some parts of it we may have questions about, right? Because we're ignorant, right, as human beings. But all of this just came from some man living in the middle of a desert 1400 years ago who didn't study. Listen, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter, like, you know, you can, you, anyone can take the Quran and say, oh, I don't, this part of it has a problem, that part of it has a problem. That We'll leave all of that for later. As a body of work, there's no way someone can look at the Quran and say, you know what? It makes sense. Yeah, a man living in the middle of the Arabian desert just one day came up with all of this. It just doesn't make sense, right? You can't say that about other, other books, because other books, when I say other books, I mean other holy books. New Testament, Old Testament, because they are not even going back to the time of their prophets. Uh, and this is a historical known fact. Written years after them, the Old Testament, we're not even sure who wrote them. They say four different people wrote them. Uh, New Testament is different books written by 14 different authors, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, that doesn't even come up with regards to other holy books. But well, Quran al Hakim. So the proof is where? Proof is in the swearing itself. This book that has wisdom, that's proof for You are on a straight path. This Quran is Tanzil. Tanzil comes from Nazala, which means to send down something. But when you put it in the form and in the shape of Tanzil, it means to send down something gradually. He says, This is the book of Al Aziz al Rahim. This is God situating uh, his attributes in a beautiful way. He says, this is the revelation of the one who's very mighty and proud. And at the same time, he is Rahim. At the same time, he is merciful, right? Um, it's beautiful. Ayatollah Jawadi Amali says, this Quran that we have and the real Quran that's up there, 
That's why the Quran says Tanzil because it has been sent down. When we say it's been sent down, it doesn't mean like the books, like it doesn't mean like the paper was sent down, right? It means that the concepts and the truths that the Quran speak about have ascended toward oops, sorry, have descended towards us, right? So he says this tanzil is just like a rope. One side of the rope is in the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the other side of the other side of the rope is in our hands. Our hands is the lower side of the rope. It is a side that we understand a little bit easier, right? The other side is in his hand. That's why in the verses of the Quran, he says, This same Quran that is a is is on the from the material perspective is a bunch of Arabic words. Don't look at it this way. This is the the share of the Quran that you guys receive. The share of the Quran that we receive or we have with us, that is Aliyun Hakim. That's very high. You guys don't understand that. We give you the simpler version of it, right? That's why the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, and I'm going to start ending inshallah in a couple minutes. Let me know if you guys have any questions. That's why in the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, the Quran says, uh, kitab. That book. Whereas the Quran, you're holding it when you're reciting it, right? It should say, Hadha al-Kitab. It says, Dhalik al-Kitab. So the Quran has multiple levels. These different levels, one on the lowest level is the Arabic that we have in front of us. At the highest level is a living being that we don't even understand, right? But point is that it's like a rope. If you take this lower level and you start climbing, then you will get there. In the words of Ayatollah Jawadi Amuli, he says, this is why the Quran says, Hold on to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? He says the Quran is this rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Moving on uh, from that. لِتُنذِرَ قَوْمًا مَا أُنذِرَ آبَاءُهُمْ فَهُمْ غَافِلُونَ Ya Rasulullah, we have sent you to do indhar, to give a warning to those who their fathers were not given a warning. فَهُمْ غَافِلُونَ Because of that, they're negligent. Because of that, they're oblivious to qiyamah. They're oblivious to their accountability and all the things that we believe in as Muslims. This is why we sent you, Ya Rasulullah. Okay, question. The Quran says, We sent you to do indhar, to give warning to a group of people that their fathers were not warned. So wait a second. Other verses of the Quran say, We send a prophet for every group of people. How is this that the Quran is saying a group of people were not uh, given warning? I'll try to explain this in a couple minutes. Brothers and sisters, the Quran says we send a prophet to every qawm. We send a prophet to every ummah, as we say. But does that mean the message is necessarily sent exactly to each and every person? Not necessarily. You want proof for that? Go and knock your neighbor's door. He's standing right there. That's that's your proof, right? Um, don't do that. I'm just saying. <laughs> Point is, there are many people that we know that the message has not been sent to them individually. However, they are part of an ummah that has a prophet. Which ummah is this? This is the ummah that we have. Who is their prophet? Prophet Muhammad is their prophet, right? So the Quran says we have sent for every qawm, every ummah a prophet. Doesn't mean that the message has has been sent directly to every single 
individual and there is hikman there is wisdom uh, in that as well nonetheless he says because of that these people they are ob oblivious in islamic theology there are times between great prophets where the message that they had sent although the message was out there as is the case right now islam's message is out there but it was not basically the people of the time would hide it right and it was hidden these were times known as the times of fatra okay now between the times of different big prophets this idea of fatra used to happen and inshallah we're out of time inshallah uh next session uh we'll discuss that more first of all we'll discuss and just to give you a, a quick uh some of the stuff we'll discuss next week first of all why does the quran says where we sent you to give warning why don't we why don't you send the prophet to give good news Islam is here to give us warning and to give us good news, right? It's indar and tabshir. Why does the Quran say we sent you to give them warning? Okay, so that's one question we got to answer. Uh, later on, we'll discuss. The next verse says that our decree has been established for them. They will not believe. So what? God is doing things that people can't believe anymore? I thought people have free will. That's something else that we'll have to discuss. Moving on from that, what happens when someone doesn't believe on purpose? God starts to put shackles on their necks. They don't, they're not able to do certain things. What are those things that they're not able to do? God starts to put barriers in front of them and, and behind them. What does that mean? These are all stuff that we will discuss, uh, inshallah, in, uh, in the next session. Um, some very beautiful stuff coming up. Also, the sha'n nuzul of these verses. We'll discuss those, inshallah. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is MizanInstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast. Or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.